The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Friday, January 28th, 2022. Can you believe this year is almost one-twelfth over? But it's not going out in a win- with a whimper. No, no. It is exploding with a bang of news. No more looking at these bad poll numbers. No more looking at this big inflation. No more looking at anything else for the Biden administration. It's Supreme Court vacancy. Justice Breyer announcing yesterday that he is going to be stepping down. And thus, we have ourselves a little uh, a little something to pay attention to. Uh, This from Kyle Kondik of the Crystal Ball. Three straight election years with a Supreme Court vacancy. Looks like that technically last happened in 86, 88, and 90, although the 88 vacancy was filled early in that calendar year. So we have the same situation here. It is 2018, 2020, 2020. Two, 21, 22, it's 22, right? Did I just say that? 18, 20, 22, all of which with Supreme Court vacancies, two of them go to Trump. One of them now will go to Biden. We're going to walk you through the entire process here. So obviously there's a lot that's kind of still emerging about who the candidates are going to be. That's for other weeks. Right now we're going to have on, on this episode, Primarily, a conversation about what the process is, and then we're going to talk about the questions surrounding this, some of them that are that are already kind of emerging. After that, we're going to complete our midterm reset with uh, Evan Scrimshaw of The Lines. We talked about the House on Wednesday. We're talking about the Senate. Today, uh, full disclosure, this was recorded before the news broke. So there's a reason why in that conversation, we're not going to talk about the political ramifications of the Supreme Court seat. But I will answer that question right now. I don't think there's going to be a lot of it. I think that we're going to get a fairly expeditious Supreme Court appointment. And I'll explain why as we go forward. But first... Steps to confirming a Supreme Court justice. Number one, the president will consult with his advisors, including senators, to develop a short list of candidates that he will vet to interview before announcing a nomination. Both the public and private qualifications of each potential nominee will be investigated by government officials. The president is not required to reveal the names of the people he is considering, and there are no deadlines for how quickly this vacancy will be filled. Joe Biden made a lot of promises when he was running for president. Among them were that he would appoint a woman... As vice president, he then went further to say he was leaning into the idea of a woman of color, and indeed he did, name Kamala Harris. He has said he will name a black woman to the Supreme Court. So, you would imagine that there will be a lot of conversation around that, and specifically, who is on his shortlist. Let's start here with the realities of this process. 
My God. This is the first time that uh, uh, th th this will be for the gamblers in the audience. If you've ever been sitting at a blackjack table and you've just been getting your ass kicked. Like one time I was with a guest on this show, Brian Brushwood, at, jeez, uh, where was it? The Rio in Vegas. And we were just killing time because our wives were getting ready for something or we're going to check something out. And so we were just sitting at the blackjack table and we're playing and we were just waiting for our free beer because they bring you free drinks when you're sitting at the tables. And what happened was just an epic cold snap for which resulted in us paying for the most expensive Miller Lights in history. I think it was like $200 for what eventually, because we kept staying at the table because we, we, we wanted our beer. That's what I imagine the Biden administration is feeling is no matter how poorly they're playing at the game, there is no doubt that they're also getting some bad luck. So this is the first time that they have been dealt a, a, a Delta hand and they just know they can immediately flip it up. It's an ace and a king, but boom, blackjack, please pay me out. They get a break here and it largely starts with this. The fact that they will be able to knock out everything else in the news. How are the BBB negotiations going? Who cares who's on the short list? What about Russia? You know, there's a Supreme Court vacancy that's happening right now. Hey, are there people that are American citizens that are getting murdered by the Taliban and this Supreme Court vacancy happening now? Pay attention to what is important. The media will be totally, totally encompassed by this. And the, the, the White House can very much deftly spread this out and dial it up as much as they want to, even at this early phase. The idea of naming names on, on the shortlist, that matters. All right, let's go. Number two. After the president nominates a candidate and, infirm, and informs the Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee considers the candidate's qualifications. This step in the process is not a requirement, but since the Civil War, it is accepted practice. What I'm sure is uh, uh, on the minds of many, especially many Democrats, is, wait a minute, is Mitch McConnell going to screw this up too? Mitch McConnell held the Merrick Garland nomination. He waited to make it a jump ball in the 2016 election. Came up with the most unlikely win of all time with Donald Trump winning the election and being able to select not one, but two Supreme Court justices that has now effectively tilted the court. A reminder also that Judge Justice Breyer is on the liberal wing, although he is a pragmatic liberal. So the fact that uh, uh, you know Breyer is, is going to be replaced by a Democratic president is more survival than it is gaining territory. But here's something else. Mitch McConnell and the GOP got nothing here. They don't have the stroke. They don't have the votes. The fact that Donald Trump actively uh, engaged in a voter suppression effort in Georgia against his own party in January. Well, you know, that 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 continues to bear fruit for the Democratic Party. Uh, there's nothing that the Republicans can do. So no matter what you think of Mitch McConnell, no matter what you think of what happened with Merrick Garland, no matter what you think with what happened with Amy Coney Barrett, there's just nothing that anybody on the right can do whatsoever. Unless the Democrats cannot cobble together their 50 votes, which has been controversial on other things. And we'll get to that in our second segment here where we have some burning questions. But there will be no blockade. Mitch has no power here. So throughout the Senate, do not worry about that if you are on the Democratic side. Number three, 
The Senate Judiciary Committee will schedule a hearing to consider the merits of the nominee. Before the hearing, the committee will collect the information it will consider when interviewing the nominee. They may conduct their own investigations into the public and private life of the candidate. The nominee will also prepare for his or her appearance before the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, we are realistic here on this podcast on the intellectual and partisan lean of the media. You're going to see it here. There is going to be way more soft focus. You know, whoever this nominee is, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, a boy. What an amazing career this person's had. What an inspiration they are. There's going to be a lot of that. I don't think there is going to be the kind of media coverage that there was for Kavanaugh, the kind of media coverage. There will be for Amy Coney Barrett, while certainly I think the judiciary questioning will be covered by by the media news networks. I I would be shocked if it gets the same kind of ratings that either of of those two got just because there's not going to be the same kind of fireworks. There's not going to be the same kind of coverage. This is where you're going to see the fact that this is going to be much more of a coronation than it will be an inquisition. Number four. During the hearings, witnesses to support and oppose the candidates will testify. The senators on the committee will have the opportunity to hear the witnesses and question the applicant on the information connected. There is no exact criteria or qualifications for U.S. Supreme Court justices. In the Federalist Paper 78, Alexander Hamilton created, created a historical expectation that judges would act impartially and with integrity when he stated that uh, those selected to serve, quote, unite the requisite integrity with the requisite knowledge to, quote, qualify them for the station of judges. There is a historic expectations that nominees will possess stellar legal qualifications evidenced by service on a lower court bench, legal scholarship and or respected private practice. The Supreme Court justice is not required to have a law degree. However, to date, all of the justices have held them. Let's get into wondering, and at at the point that you hear this, we might actually know a lot more about who is on this short list, but I wonder where we're going to draw from. Academics, lower court, or maybe a wild card. There certainly is a sense amongst Democrats that with a conservative majority that possibly the temperament of this justice needs to be further to the left. So, that's a question. <laughs> exactly how far to the left? If if Biden wants to go there. And how far is too far considering there is only a 50-50 uh, split in the Senate? Number five, following the hearings by the Senate Judiciary Committee, the committee members vote on the nomination. They will have three options, confirmation, rejection, or no recommendation. Their decision is sent to the full Senate for debate. Things would have to go really crazy, really crazy for this not to happen. Obviously, the Democrats have the majority in the judiciary in the judiciary committee. There's an old Dana Carvey joke about how you can't say judicial system without sounding drunk. The judicial system. They've got a majority there. You know, it would have to be Harriet Myers. It would have to be Bork for this to not get through. I do not expect that. Again, I am expecting uh, some smooth. Sailing. Number six, the full Senate debates the nomination following the rules of the Senate. Currently, the question can be called and debated and debate halted with a simple majority vote, 51 to 49 to end debate. In April 2017, the Senate abandoned a practice known as filibustering, which added endless debate to the floor and was often employed by the minority to to delay or defeat measures up for a vote, including the Supreme Court nominations. The cloture vote of 60 senators, two-thirds majority, was needed to end debate. That is no longer the case because Mitch McConnell was reacting to the last time the Democrats meddled with the filibuster. 
Schumer did it for lower court justices. And so when McConnell got in control, he did it for Supreme Court justices. That means that, again, this is going to march through. Nothing will get to this stage unless it is for sure. And keep that in mind when we get to our second segment. And then finally, when the debate ends, the Senate votes on the nomination. The nominee needs to uh, have a simple majority of the senators present and voting in order to be confirmed. If there's a tie, the vice president casts cast the deciding vote. Obviously, that will most likely be the case. There are a few questions. Uh, uh, Lindsey Graham has often voted for uh, opposition party nominees. Susan Collins has been a yes on opposition party nominees. My my general guess on this and what I'm seeing in some of the early reaction is that you will probably see that there is going to be a 51-49 floor, meaning... This is not going to be much of a conversation unless the nominee is aggressive, controversial. What is aggressive? What is controversial? Well, what if we ask some burning questions? What if one of those burning questions was, Supreme Court Justice Kamala Harris. All right, let's talk some burning questions. Burning, burning, burning questions. Here's the biggest one that I've seen in our Discord since this news broke Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema. Thorns in the side of the Democratic majority. They want to do a bunch of stuff. Oh, the mean old mansion and cinema machine. They say no. So if they said no on keeping the BBB and the infrastructure together, and they said no on amending the filibuster for voting rights, and they said no on BBB in general, why would they not say no to a Supreme Court justice? And the reason is, in my opinion, is that, I mean, I've talked about uh, the, the fact that I think that the, the line in the sand for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema is, is not as crazy as I think our hyperbolic hot take society wants to make it out to be. They are both very reliable Democratic votes. With credit to the late meatloaf, they will do anything for love, but they just won't do that. And specifically, that is, I mean, BBB. Most of all of this surrounded BBB, and that's where the filibuster first came up, whether or not, I mean, they, again, they both voted, listed themselves as voting for both of those Voting Rights Acts. The only thing that they didn't agree to was amending the filibuster. And their point on amending the filibuster was there throughout for, for every situation. So, I believe that cinema is not going to be a problem. And I believe that Manchin is not going to be a problem. Here's some facts about Manchin. Throughout all of Joe Biden's judge votes so far, the, the judges that he has nominated, Joe Manchin has been a reliable yes vote. Even in scenarios where Mr. Bipartisan has had to vote against every single Republican, including Susan Collins. So even in those situations, when it is a straight party line, partisan vote, Joe Manchin is there. So who will it be? Well, again, by the time that you hear this, there's a high likelihood that we're probably going to have at least one or two names circled. And you're probably going to start to see these are great stories because nobody knows these people in general. Uh, unless you're really deep into the legal world or the constitutional law world. But you're going to start to see little snipey pieces of like, well, maybe they're not right. And maybe troubled past or blah, blah, blah. You're going to see some behind the scenes sniping as, you know, is want to happen when lifetime appointments are on the line. 
The most tantalizing possibility is Kamala. So it is with this that I would like for everybody to please take off your rational hats. Please put on your conspiracy jumpsuits because we are entering into the world where facts have no quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the total hypothetical zone. So, let's imagine that sometime in the, in, in the last two weeks between the one-year anniversary of the Biden administration and now that there have been some real come-to-Jesus hard conversations. And at some point in a room inside another room inside another room inside another room where only the most powerful of power players reside, there is a few things laid out on the table. Number one, Joe Biden may or may not run for president. Number two, Kamala Harris is not going to get elected president. Number three, maybe Kamala wasn't the best choice but also really the only thing that the Democrats believe they are, are, are still you know, in control of is the black vote. Black women drive a lot of that. And so they cannot knife a black woman publicly. So what are your outs? Especially if you would like to either make Pete the VP or make Pete the nominee and hope that you can put, you know, the, 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 the big successor title on him as, as fast as possible. Oh man, you can't take out a black woman and replace him with a white man. Even if he is gay. I mean, I guess Kamala could like resign and go to rehab. No, I mean, she's not Hunter Biden. She can't just write a book. No, she would have to have a promotion. So what's a promotion that's not the president, right? You can't promote her to president. The whole point is that we don't want her to be close to the presidency. Well, she was a lawyer. She was previously an attorney general of San Francisco and then attorney general of California. She's as left as you could possibly get. Nobody would ever question her credentials. She's made mention that she would like to be on the Supreme Court. If Kamala accepted the nomination, she would not have to take the position until she is confirmed. She would most likely be the one to pass her own confirmation. Tucker Carlson's head explodes into subatomic particles that are still in the jet stream when our great-great-grandchildren are piloting drones. It's the most bonkers thing I could think of. Okay, I'm pulling us out of the hypothetical zone. Here's, here's why that won't happen. I believe that the Biden administration wants a very quiet win. They want a very long, very predictable, very solid win. They got Breyer to step down. Uh, yes, I do believe that this is in part motivated by the fact that it looks like the Democrats are going to lose the Senate. And we'll talk about that more in a second with Scrimshaw. But that is happening. Breyer stepped down. He had been chesty about not wanting to do it only a few months ago. So that's a victory. They want something 
where somebody whose name you don't know, yes, uh, the the Republican commentators are going to saber rattle about it. There's there's uh, undoubtedly some decisions in their past that will be controversial, but this by and large is going to be a blissful four to five week distraction for the Biden administration. Unless, unless Justice Harris is in the cards. All right, everybody. Uh, Politics, politics, politics is a show that is entirely created and supported by you, the listener. The dear listener, the the folks that are uh, uh, making it happen, baby, making it happen. You guys are are taking care of this entire operation. You're taking care of the editor of this show, Brett, and and it's 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 just it's just great. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And, and, and you want to know what? You're not just doing this for nothing. You're, you're, you're getting something for your money. In fact, on Monday, you get the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition. And boy, this upcoming one is going to be fake. I mean, nothing gets the, the, the D.C. crowd riled up like a Supreme Court nomination that's going to be a great episode. If you want to start next week the right way, then you got to get on the $3 tier or above immediately. In fact, you could probably start things off by getting on there and then listening to yesterday's episode, which comes out on Thursday. That's our late edition. So that means that we're covering stuff there in the episode that came out yesterday that we're not covering here because I record this earlier in the week. So any kind of rumors that have come out well, that's going to be talked about on the Thursday edition, the late edition. It's just that simple, folks. Head on over there right now. It is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Leads to our Patreon. $3 level or above is what you need to get the bonus content. Four episodes of PX3 each and every week for you if you support the program. Thank you very much. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is a author with a great substack. You can find him by searching Evan Scrimshaw. And he is a betting columnist for thelines.com, analyzing all of the political betting opportunities. Together, uh, we are going to discuss the rest of the midterms, uh, specifically the Senate, Talked about the House on Wednesday. If you didn't listen to our conversation about the House on Wednesday, then uh, then go do that. But let's welcome the man back to the program, Evan Scrimshaw. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Resetting for the midterms. We talked about the House on Wednesday. Now we will talk about the Senate. I have been transfixed by the Republican primary in Pennsylvania recently where uh, apparently everybody who's not lived in Pennsylvania for the last 30 years are now running. Uh, uh, Obviously, Georgia is going to be fascinating for a million different reasons. Arizona is, uh, you know, for whatever reason, all the everybody who's talking about the Senate race in Arizona is talking about the 2024 Senate race, not the 22 one that's happening in a few months with, with, with Mark Kelly's seed. So for your money, what is the most interesting and volatile Senate seat in the midterms? Oh, that's a good question. God, Uh, I'm going to say Pennsylvania just because we have the most possible combinations there, right? Because you have a Republican primary of a 
Bush subcabinet guy who uh, supported gay marriage and an amicus brief signed by a number of notable Republicans, I think most notably David Frum uh, in 2013. And then you've got Dr. Oz. That is that is McCormick, right? You're talking about McCormick. McCormick, Yeah, McCormick was the uh, Bush appointee. I think he was some. He was undersecretary. He was for for, for listeners. He was he was the the candidate that had his high school football friends in his in his first ad talking about how how much of a true blue Pennsylvanian he was, despite the fact that he's lived in Connecticut for the last few years or the last decades. Yeah, he works in private equity. Of course, he lives in Connecticut. Um, Yeah. Let's just let's just be very honest with this. And then you got Dr. Oz, who uh, just go to his Wikipedia page. I'm pretty sure the like controversies sections like a third of it um i was trying to figure out if there's a name for that there needs to be a name for like when your wikipedia like 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 a a, a, like a ratio-esque term for when your wikipedia when the longest entry is controversies when it's like everything else two paragraph and then yeah one just a a lord of the rings a tolkien-esque controversy section so I had to, so, so I write a political betting column for the lines and I, I, I like, I love the guys over the lines are awesome, but I just, and I rarely like get requests for like, Oh, can you write it with this? I, I have a lot of leeway and I love it, but I got a thing being like, Oh, so can you write about Dr. Oz next week? I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. That makes total sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <laughs> I had to write up. The do- I had to write a call about the, 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 the primary and, and the general election and trying to find like a neutral, non-biased way for me to say Dr. Oz is a is a quack was <laughs> like, honestly, the most difficult thing I've done this year. And I wrote a damn book this year. Uh, but yeah, um, I think Dr. Oz is going to win the primary. I know the uh, collective wisdom. So? Oh, yeah. Easy. So David that McCormick- would be where your money is. Oh, yeah. No, David McCormick is a uh, Bush appointee who supported gay marriage in a Republican party. That's like the primary electorate of which is increasingly rural and increasingly not a fan of either the Bush presidency or and is slanted to the people who have the most culturally conservative views. I Dr. don't understand Oz why everyone served thinks for a foreign military and campaigned for Michelle Obama's lunch program. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, and yes, I, and, I, and we will forgive and Americans forgive celebrities for taking previous positions supporting Democrats. See Donald Trump. Okay. All right. Now I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought Trump up because I do think that there, he is the obvious comparison point, right? I yeah. think that there are there are elements that are like and 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 not alike from my perspective, you know, trying to analyze them as candidates. What Trump had that I think people tend to kind of think is more common than it is. I think it is a unique skill was his ability to stay ahead of the media. He had a preternatural idea uh, of what the media would respond to. And he was very maybe better than than po- any politician in my lifetime able to set the conversation almost on a daily basis at five o'clock when he started tweeting while Oz does have the name recognition Oz does have obviously the, the telegenic you want to see him talk more than a random politician does because he has the charisma of, of a television personality. I don't think he's got those political instincts. I think he's a little bit more robotic when it comes to that. He is somewhere sub Schwarzenegger to me in terms of the intellectual heft of, of being able to say, this is what we're talking about and having that simpatico with the people that he needs to vote for them. In my opinion. I, that's a, that's a compelling case. The counterpoint to that is when was the last time someone with David McCormick's resume want a statewide primary in the GOP? Fair point. I, I mean, it's I guess, a long it, time. But ago. also, when's the last time somebody's ran against Dr. Oz? Like it's and everybody else is a no, but everybody else from Pennsylvania. I mean, it is a severe indictment of the Pennsylvania GOP that they do not have a bench deep enough that they can put up somebody that I don't know lives in the state. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very fair point. Yeah. Uh it, yeah, it's not great. It's not it's not great from their perspective. Which but, but is at the same time, good it's like news if, for if Democrats, Oz wins, I guess. If Oz wins. And he does have some kind of simpatico with the more insurgent MAGA elements of the party. Uh, I do think he is he is a more formidable general election candidate than he is a primary candidate. 
Oh, he's a substantially better uh, general election candidate than McCormick is. Because if you're if you're McCormick and it's either Fetterman or Lamb, they just run the Obama 2012 playbook against Mitt Romney, right? They find every bad uh, hedge fund deal that this guy's made. Yeah. And they just they show all the small towns he's ripped apart, all the union cities he's ripped apart. And Democrats win Pittsburgh by more than they usually do. They win, you know, up and down the state. They do a lot better in those rural small towns than, you know, Biden does. They turn back the clock a little bit. And I'd much rather that coalition if I'm Democrats like Dr. Oz is a difficult candidate to campaign against because he will presumably if he can win a GOP primary, he'll have shown enough strength in rural Pennsylvania. Yeah. But also, I don't think you can you can't easily pigeonhole him in the suburbs. And so he's he's a, no. he's a candidate I'm genuinely scared of. Like, I'm, you know, if I'm a Democrat, I absolutely want to run against Barbic because that's an easy campaign. We know the playbook and we know and Democrats know how to execute that very easily. And I will say for Oz, I mean, there, there's been. Uh, uh, competing vibes of 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 trying to get you know kind of where he is like that that Olivia Nuzzi article where they apparently were still on Bluetooth while bad mouthing her uh, is very rookie mistakey and either either Olivia Nuzzi is is one of the greatest uh, uh, feature writers which I, I that is the position that I will take or a total fabulous because like the stuff she gets is amazing but uh, uh, presuming that that is totally accurate which I am, uh, that's a big rookie mistake. But also if you look at his campaign so far, at least in terms of the television advertising and the messaging, I think he's attacking McCormick in the right ways. Like his first big anti-McCormick ad was in a factory, which I think Oz looked about as comfortable as Derek Zoolander in a coal mine, but it still was hitting the right positions. It, it was it was hitting, it was using the Obama playbook that you just mentioned against McCormick here. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like we, we sometimes overrate like how people play in the couple of times that they show up in national media. And I think, I think Dr. Oz is, is, is running a you know, decent campaign so far. I think if he continues to lean in on the, the playbook he's, he's currently doing and the fact that presumably he will be able to match McCormick's hedge fund money, uh, you know, dollar yeah. for dollar in terms of TV ads. Cause that's always the thing you fear with these very rich you know, Connecticut private equity guys that they'll just be able to blitz you with money. Dr. Ross is going to be able to match that dollar for dollar. And I just don't find McCormick to be, I, I just don't, again, when was the last time someone with that resume won a competitive contested GOP statewide primary? It's been a while. Finally, finally the underdog to take on the Connecticut private hedge fund guy, a New Jersey based television personality and heart surgeon. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, let's let's move from Pennsylvania down to Georgia. I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> you know, we are we're going to be in a a a brutal primary on the Republican side with Purdue versus Kemp. Uh, um, we had Herschel Walker put out a a nonsensical uh, video on Twitter a few weeks ago. Raphael Warnock was by far the most competent of the uh, uh, two candidates that ran for my, for my money uh, at the beginning of 2021 uh, in that, in that runoff, it seems to me of all of the seats, the most likely or like Warnock to me is the strongest of the democratic candidates on the senatorial side. Do you agree? Uh, so well, okay. Are we including Mae Hassan? Because I don't think she's particularly strong, but she's okay. more likely to win because the New yeah. Hampshire GOP don't have anybody. Um, the thing about Georgia is it's the highest volatility race, right? Yeah. Of the main competitive three uh, on the, Demo the Democrats trying to hold. Um, I can totally see universe where Walker sort of flames the Herschel Walker kind of flames out the you know abuse allegations come back to haunt him. He's a rookie candidate who has no idea what he's doing. You know he flames out and Warnock sort of regardless of what happens in the governor's race, he sort of gets a you know he sort of th runs three or four points ahead of Abrams, and 
you know, the governor's race is a near tie. He's, you know, winning by three or four. And then, you know, he wins comfortably. We see what happens on the governor like side. I can also see a campaign where Hirsch Walker figures out what he's doing. Joe Biden's bad approval stays bad. And yeah. Walker just gets over black turnout in the state doesn't reach the highs it did in 2020 and 2021. Rural white turnout stays high and he loses by four because, you know, Herschel Walker is either just the guy who's there when the when the music runs out for Democrats or because Herschel Walker does better with black voters because old, you know, culturally conservative, but usually Democratic voting black voters remember Herschel Walker and still find some old SEC bulldog legacy. Specifically in them since the him. thing that they remember him the most for. Just happened again for the first time since he did it. The Bulldogs <sighs> winning a national championship in football. That sigh, that sigh for people who heard it was my Florida Gator fandom having to deal with the number of people. <laughs> so because because the like the one thing I got totally right about 2020 and 2021 was yeah. Georgia. I have a lot of Georgia people who follow me who are friends gotcha. with me on Twitter. And oh my God, that was a painful night when they won. Oh my God, <laughs> that was painful. How did you become a Gator fan? Uh, my mother went to my mother went to school in Florida for a few years. No, she didn't go to UF, but she has uh, family friends who I have considered my aunts for all my life who live in Gainesville. So we went down, you know, three or four times growing up. And I somewhere in my closet, I have a Tim Tebow jersey. Jeez. Well, they waitlisted me as a Florida resident, so they're dead to me. Moving on. Uh, let's, let's, let's take a look at Arizona. Um, like I mentioned before, nobody's the, the press disparity between the Senate race in 24 versus the one in 22 that's happening in a few months is, uh, 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 right now fairly substantial. It will likely tighten in the next few months, but before we get to Mark Kelly defending his incumbency, where are you at on, on the idea of a cinema challenge? Uh, Ruben Gallo is going to, apologies if I butcher the pronunciation, is going to be the next uh, Democratic nominee from Arizona. Um, cinema has gone out of her way to piss off Democrats in too many like specific ways. And the difference between her and Manchin or her and John Tester or her and Sherrod Brown, Sherrod Brown, who sometimes take idiosyncratic, uh, you know, votes is there's no evidence that cinema is a particularly good performer and there's no evidence that she will be necessary to win the seat next time. And also be less gleeful about killing your own party's agenda, right? Like the dramatic thumbs down on the minimum wage vote in March. Like I, I wrote a column then saying, get, get on board or, or take a, you know, get a one way flight back to Arizona. And Democrats are pissed. Democrats are royally pissed and she's not going to win a primary. Every piece of evidence we have is that most Democrats in Arizona are done with her. And she also just lost the endorsement of Emily's list last week, which was a big source of uh, funds for her. And it's also a leading signal to uh, like independent donors that this is not somebody we're getting behind. And a lot of a lot of the democratic increase in small dollar donations has come from sort of independently wealthy suburban women. And if one of the leading democratic women's groups has said, Nope, she gone. You know, I I'm, I'm more optimistic about her chances than you are. Um, I, I, I think that, that there's, there's, there's going to be an interesting one and a half years between now and when when things really go down. But uh, 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 certainly that that seems to be, especially there was another poll that came out that said there was like, I think a 25 point gulf in Democratic support between her and Kelly. So Kelly is far more uh, uh, supportive. I also just wonder if these midterms go the way that I think we both think that they are going to go. And uh, certainly in the House, it flips and the Senate looks increasingly likely if Biden's approval ratings are as bad as they are if the idea of protecting the filibuster is going to look as bad next year as it does this one for Democratic voters. I think Democratic voters have made their peace with the fact that trifectas and full control is 
a rare thing, especially with the disadvantages of the Senate and everything else that I think Democrats have made basically made their peace with the idea that when we have power, we have to do a lot with it. And at some point, Democrats, I don't think Democrats are going to feel better about her not not getting rid of the filibuster, because I think a larger number of Democrats at this point have made their peace with the fact that they're losing the House. And, you know, for some, you know, some people think they're going to lose the Senate. And I think everyone has just collectively made their piece of, okay, you need to maximize two years. And she is one of two main impediments to that. Yeah, I guess I just think that if if it does flip and she's able to go out in a Democratic primary and say, if my opponent were in the shoes that I were in right now, there would be a federal heartbeat law. It's going to be a compelling argument if 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 indeed the chips fall that way. But that's for two years from now. Let's talk about Kelly. Uh, the Arizona GOP is uh, a, a total random uh, mystery box. We do not know if the popular governor of Arizona is going to be their nominee there. Donald Trump is very much against it as he is playing defense against incumbents uh, uh, or both, of course, Brian Kemp in Georgia as he runs for reelection and the possible idea of Ducey running uh, for Senate. Where do you see the handicapping there? Uh, Kelly versus possibly Ducey. So I think Doug Ducey would be Doug Ducey would be Markella. I feel pretty strongly about that fact. Uh, I just don't think Doug Ducey has a lane in a Republican primary. And frankly, I don't even think Mark Brnovich, the uh, attorney general, has a chance either. And that's the problem for the Arizona GOP. If Ducey somehow runs and wins, I think wins the primary, he wins the general. If Brnovich wins the primary, he wins the general. If it's, you know, Trump supporting and the Trump endorsed Blake Masters, eh, that gets that that gets dicier. Kelly's a good incumbent or good candidate. He ran Biden by shade over two points last mm-hmm. time. I, I think I think if he gets a bad against, I think, against, against McSally, who again can't spell McSally without two L's. <laughs> the thing about McSally is that we all like collectively made fun of the GOP for running her a second time. And yeah. then this, this Senate primary has confirmed why they felt the need to run her a second time, which is who was your better option. And yeah. uh, I think if it's, I think, I think if, I think if the Arizona GOP are smart, they keep Ducey out of the race, they rally behind Murdovich and they really just focus on that two-way race of you know the same guy who with a good electoral track record versus an untested crazy person if that message works they probably have a sentiment the the gop are, are favored for senate control if it doesn't well yikes there is look there is a a, a tremendous insurgency within that gop uh the state gop uh there in in, in arizona that has you know censured the McCain family and uh you know put put some very 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 MAGA candidates uh up and isn't, isn't, they want to again. Isn't Kelly Ward the like head of the party? I believe I think. so. Yeah. 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 Not 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 a great not a great sign for their chances of making the tactically correct decision. Let's move northward to Nevada. Uh one of the weirdest statewide uh just just states in general because it's effectively Las Vegas and a and 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 a and a smidge arena, but effectively you're you're really running a quote unquote statewide campaign in one county in Clark County. If, if you win Clark County, you win. Yeah. So uh so Catherine Cortez Massville last time actually just straight up won one county in Nevada and one statewide. Yeah. Like that's she it. did not even she did not even win uh, she did not even win the county whose name's escaping me that has Reno in it. Um, which like it's like 70% of the population. Uh, I'm I'm very bullish on Nevada this time. Uh, I'm not necessarily like super bullish long term on Nevada, yeah. But the thing that everyone's forgetting is Biden won the state by you know two and change. Okay, not great, right? Uh, Close. the thing is, yeah. Catherine Cortez Masto should do better with Hispanics than Joe Biden did. Just like plainly running a Hispanic candidate should be better 
than a candidate who did not take the state seriously. Biden yeah. took Nevada for granted. There wasn't a Senate race there. There was no damn ballot race of great importance or really of any importance up last year or last time. Uh, and so Biden just left the state alone. And, you know, we can get into like, was that the tactically correct decision or not? But it feels like it was kind of close just because Biden didn't take it seriously. Biden didn't focus on, you know, any Hispanic heritage there. And John Ralston, the sort of oracle of Nevada politics, has made mm-hmm. the point that pandemic restrictions and an Ill- inability of the sort of, you know, read machine to be yep. uh, to be active actually legitimately might have cost Democrats there a little bit. And I think that those the, the factor of the read machine being fully operative, or I guess what we're calling the, I guess, Cortez Master machine at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, the machine being being fully operative this time and presumed better Hispanic support than Biden means that I, I'm pretty confident we'll be able to keep it this time. So you say, you know, uh, uh, Hispanic support, obviously crucial in Nevada. I I will also uh, point out that the president of the United States, when he was then a candidate uh, in the Nevada primary, celebrated getting only losing, I think, by 15 uh, percentage points because he was second in that uh, in that caucus. But uh, is this another one of those? We talked a lot about this on Wednesday the the down ballot or the the pressure of Joe Biden's approval rating and specifically what we are seeing is demographic collapses in the black and Hispanic vote for the Democratic Party is is this one of those if it's the worst case scenario for Democrats we see Hispanic turnout being depressed in places like Nevada where it, they desperately need it oh yeah no that's definitely a downside risk right like I like everything we're saying is like kind of implicitly presumed on the idea that like Biden's not going to be this unpopular by election day. Yeah. If he is, then all the analysis and all the like is Walker, a good candidate, a bad candidate. How, <laughs> how strong was Warnock versus Ossoff? Like all of that just doesn't matter because the waves yeah, come. No, Her- 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 Herschel Walker could literally just do the Heisman pose and and get applause uh, uh, if if if, yeah. if this remains the the approval rating of Joe Biden in November. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, yeah, believe me, Biden Biden not turning his operation around in any meaningful way, and black and Hispanic turnout greater and costing us, you know, costing Democrats. You know, two, maybe three Senate seats. Yeah, it terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me because that's why Democrats got beat to a pulp so many times before. That's why they got creamed in 2010 and 2014 was they just didn't manage to get high enough levels of minority turnout and they weren't able to win when the share of the electorate in across these states spiked. The share of the electorate that was white just spiked all across the board and Democrats weren't able to win. All right. So we went over the ones that that I'm I am most focused on. Are, are there any uh, uh, any any other races that you think that are interesting to you that you think there might be a chance? Like like let's 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 say that it is worst case scenario for Democrats. The but the approval rating is low. What is the holy crap? I can't believe they lost blank seat. So the contender, so it, it's kind of fortunate for Democrats that there isn't a Virginia Senate seat this year. It's also fortunate for me because I wouldn't, I don't definitely don't want to hear the takes about how, oh, well, Glenn Youngkin won, so therefore Republicans can win a Senate seat there. Colorado would be the logical, like, if it's bad, it's really bad one. Yeah. I, I think Michael Bennett will be fine. <laughs> I think that the fact that you can get Michael Bennett for only 75 cents on Predictor right now is a, like, I didn't realize Predictor was in the business of giving out free money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that's the logical one. Uh, it, it's The problem is just, like, federal partisanship should be enough that a Biden plus 13 state or whatever the hell Colorado was last time really yeah. should stick right there's a kind of new hampshire i think it's fine just because the new hampshire republicans are 
you know, just a joke at this point uh, because Chris knew. Yeah, so, I mean, really, Sununu was their Sununu was their shot, right? Yeah, we did the we did the the last. I think it was the last time you had me on the podcast. The last time, yeah, uh, was yeah. the day Sununu announced he wasn't. We recorded the day Sununu announced he wasn't running. Yeah, and, that was it. That was that was the ball game. Yeah, that that was like a forty percent change in in the New Hampshire GOP's like win expectancy. It, it's it's the biggest I think I've I've ever had to deal with in the last like decade. Um, I'm gonna say the one race that I think if Biden can actually genuinely get his his approvals in a good spot, which I to be clear, I'm not saying he's going to. I'm just saying if he can, we have seen we have I'm, seen precious little to this point that there is. Uh, oh. uh, you know, at least from their point of view. But then again, I guess the argument would be, hey, look, at some point, let's imagine that Omicron's, uh, uh, how viral it is, is something that has blanketed a significant portion of the American populace with antibodies. We are not going to see a wave that we saw last year with Delta between the vaccinations and that. So now by the time November comes around, we have a fairly unbroken four months of, of, of quiet COVID news. Plus, you know, the, the inflation is starting to ebb. We, we get, we get more signs that that is the case. Then that that's the rosiest uh, a situation, but again, that's hope, and hope is not a plan. Yeah, no, clearly, and, and anyone who's, who's read any of the things I've written about Biden and his, you know, sort of political operation over at my Substack will not be, will will not think that I find this particularly likely. That said, the one that if Democrats can get their uh, exploit together, uh, North Carolina, I think Sherry Beasley is a really good candidate, and I think that she is the kind of candidate who can actually. I don't want to say be the Stacey Abrams of North Carolina, but kind of do that. Right. She can yeah. rally black turnout, especially rural black turnout in like a real and substantial way. And if they can do that and they get Pat McCrory, which is very possible. McCrory was the governor who signed the anti-trans bathroom bill who lost the governorship by two in 2016 on the same day that Donald Trump won the state by three and a half. Mm-hmm. And Richard Burr won the Senate race by I think five and change. Um, I'm uh, like to be clear, Democrats are clearly underdogs to win this race. That said, if you're trying to look for you know the could Democrats make some Senate gains if Biden's yeah. approval starts to climb, I think it's North Carolina and not Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's trending the wrong way. It's they're going to do way worse in Southwest Wisconsin. And that's and they're not going to do well enough in the suburbs yet to do that. I think Ron Johnson's clearly favored in Wisconsin. I think if if you're looking for a sort of Democratic long shot, I think it's North Carolina. Last question, and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, you mentioned her name, Stacey Abrams. She took a a a a conservative position in not wanting to in uh, endanger her standing with many black voting rights activist organizations uh, and did not uh, appear at Joe Biden's voting rights speech uh, uh, that raised a lot of eyebrows. Do you believe she is the favorite against either Brian Kemp or Purdue? And which of those two do you think she is uh, uh, hoping comes out of it? I think Kemp is a weaker general election candidate. Because he's going to get beat up and then limp into it with with a a a spurned MAGA contingent. Exactly, and his ability to rally the pinpoint precise uh, rural turnout operation that he had last time will not be there. I think she's currently favored for Brian Kemp, and I think she's a slight underdog to David Perdue. I think it's funny that you said you know that you were a bigger fan of of Warnock's campaign than Ossoff's. I think. Part of the reason Ossoff underran Warnock is that David Perdue is a much better politician than uh, Kelly Leffler. Kelly Leffler, thank you. We I have liked her name. We are in we are in a total agreement there. And so I think I think I think for so I think I think Purdue's a good candidate. But but I also but also is, Purdue but also Purdue got COVID for the last two weeks of the campaign. Yeah, not great. Uh, decidedly, decidedly not great. Um, I think I think Purdue has a chance to be 
a sort of last stand for Georgia Republicans. Like, I think everyone has sort of accepted that Georgia is trending in blue, right? It's it's inarguable at this point. And I think Purdue has the ability for one day in one year to turn back the clock enough. Yeah. In Forsyth to, 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 to get back to, you know, 45, 48, 50% margin of victory in Forsyth to, to, to turn the, the excerpts as red as can be. And I think he has a better ability to combine, you know, good enough results in the Atlanta Metro with yeah. strong rural turnout. And I just don't think Kemp can, I just don't think Kemp can pull off the double in the same way right now. So if you're Abrams, obviously you'd rather run against Kemp. Purdue was a very good pull for uh, Donald Trump's suicide mission to kill Brian Kemp. I think that was, that was, he was the, the, the best candidate that, that could have jumped into the race did and and should Kemp fold in that primary, then you know he's establishment enough for the establishment, and he's MAGA enough for the MAGA, and Donald Trump's going to put his you know uh, his shoulder into it. So I tend to agree with you, uh, Evans Crimshaw. Everybody should go to your Substack. Everybody should read your column on the lines. Everybody should follow your uh, political betting advice. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and doing double duty both on Wednesday and on Friday. Love coming on. I'll do whatever you want me to. Thanks, man. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Bony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Show is edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to thank Evan Scrimshaw for being on the program. I love Scrim, man. I think he's great. Even if you don't agree with his predictions... There is no doubt that he's got such an encyclopedic knowledge of the landscape that you can benefit from it. And that's what I love. I I, I just love, even when he's got takes that I disagree with, because look, in Virginia, I was more bullish on Youngkin than he was. Turns out I was right. Did I rub it in his face? Absolutely not. You know, I I tend to think that there are some candidates that are a little bit stronger than, than he does. I love chopping it up with him, and he has no doubt in my mind that that he is uh, one of the more knowledgeable uh, guys of the playing field so uh, give him give him some love px3guest.com you want to email the show it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com and by the way thank you to everybody I've, I think I've gotten more email about the email that I got to Brian Sachs so now we are we are in the the uh, 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 real uh, Aurora Bow uh, a snake eating its own tail situation where now I'm getting email about the email that I read, but keep sending it. The young American at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at PX three tweets. We were pretty early on getting the news out on that Supreme court stuff. So, you know, when we don't tweet a lot from there. So, you know, that that's one that you can put on mobile alerts. I feel like. Our Twitch is PX3 Live. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. Our podcast, which you can share with your friends, family, clergy, is px3podcast.com. You can get our merch at politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can support us. PayPal.me slash payjury for a one-time donation. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything physical in the mail. Fiat currency. Checks, figurines, buttons for from old campaigns that you dug out of your grandpa's house. Gotten a lot of those, not going to lie. P.O. Box, 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. The only place that you can get our bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule, including the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition. Comes out on Monday morning and the late edition on Thursday. Our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier, Idris Arslandian, DJ, Katie, Mack, Niemeister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dakin Sayani, Lay Admiral, Flapjack, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, Edmund, Pluribus, Unum, Pete Spicery, 70s TV salesman, or spy. D, really? And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com Junkie, DP Fort Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana's Scathing Scowls, Double K Ranch, Ye Old Pinball Shop, 
John, Snuffy's off Route 44, Super, Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Falk, Richard, D-Laser, just another pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, J-Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to have your name read on this show, very simple. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $10 tier. I would like to wish everybody a happy weekend. I would like to, uh, uh, hopefully, you guys stay warm. Still cold out there. I don't know if it's going to be able to top last weekend's Sunday football day, which was uh, uh, mesmerizing. But... I don't know who I'm rooting for now. I think the Rams. Let's go Rams. That's what I'm for. I'm for the Rams. Go Rams. I don't know. Maybe Casey. Anyway, I uh, 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 hope everybody has a good time. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and Still more discuss politics, but this is the only show that dares discuss Dog and Pony Show Audio.